today we're going to be moving forward. Last week we went through the entire chapter of uh, 1 Peter chapter 1. And so now we're going to be moving on <coughs> to uh, chapter 2. Um, and get the, the first slides. Um, sometimes we have good intentions, uh, but we still miss the mark. Um, I ran across this picture of a note this week, and I just thought it was kind of funny. I thought I would uh, share it with you. It says, <clears throat> Ohio neighbors, I put a cute love note on what I thought was my wife's car last night. We figured out today that in my tired state, I had put the note on the wrong car. If, you happen to be, if it happened to be your car, um, sorry for the confusion, I'm not in love with you. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, but, but as I was, uh, after I read this, I was, I was thinking a little bit about um, the fact that some people call God's word, uh, God's love letter for us. So I thought, um, what, what would this note look like if it was from God and it was written to us regarding uh, the letter of 1 Peter? And so, um, so I made this up. This is what I would imagine it might be. Visitors and members of Bible Center Church, I had Peter pen a love note um, from me, sorry, that says for me, from me to the Christians scattered across the Roman Empire. You may have ended up with a copy, but that was not an accident. I prepared the time and the circumstances of this letter so that it would be copied and shared, preserved over thousands of years so that you too would receive this message. You did not receive this on accident. As much as it was written in love for them, it was also written in love for you. So with that in mind... Um, let's just pray that, uh, that God would bless this. I'm going to do my best to dig into the truth and application of this word. Um, but behind it all, know that God uh, gave it to, you, to us um, and he preserved it for us because he has love for us. Lord, we thank you for your word. We, we thank you that, um, that you gave it to us to um, encourage us, to correct us, to build us up in your image, to display um, an example of who you are. Um, Lord, we know that uh, Jesus is, is the, the chief cornerstone that you established for us to um, mirror ourselves after. When uh, we just, um, we thank you that your word defines and describes uh, what that image looks like. And we just uh, ask that today, by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would help uh, mold us and, and melt us and, and shape us into the image that you desire us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, so like I said last week, uh, we looked at 1 Peter chapter 1 and how Jesus' victory over death um, gives those who've put their trust in them a guarantee of a priceless inheritance. Um, that This priceless inheritance is saved for us in heaven beyond the reach of decay, uh, beyond the reach of, of change, and it's protected for, uh, for us. And not only is it protected for us, but we are protected. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit as a guarantee that someday we will be saved and we will receive that inheritance. Um, the reason uh, Peter was reminding and encouraging these believers was that they were experiencing some extreme persecution. And he wanted them to hold on to this eternal truth um, that they had and remember that the trials in this life are temporary and the hope that we have is eternal, and that hope can empower them to overcome paralyzing fear, and it can replace that fear with rejoicing and with the strength to prepare our minds um, for action and for holy living. So just like them, uh, we're visitors, we're foreigners in this world, and we're to honor Jesus' sacrifice for us by living as foreigners, not following the pattern of the world's culture, but instead according to the culture of the kingdom of God, and even though we're canceled, we are still committed. All right, so today we're going to be diving into chapter 2, like I said, multiple times. In case you, uh, in case you haven't found it yet, we're going to have the verses up on the screen and, and a bunch of other ones, lots of verses. Um, but for context's sake, uh, we're going to re read again the last few verses of chapter 1. We're going to start at uh, 1 Peter 1, 21 through 25. It says, Through Christ you have come to trust in God, and you have placed your faith and hope in God because he raised Christ from the dead and gave him great glory. You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. So now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply 
with all your heart. For you have been born again, and not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last forever, because it comes from the eternal living word of God. As scripture says, people are like grass. Their beauty is like a flower in the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. So 1 Peter 2 starts with the word so, or your translation might say therefore, uh, because it's pointing back um, to what, what was said in chapter 1. It says, uh, because... Through Christ, you've been cleansed from your sins and born again into a new life that will last forever. Because of this, we should live like we've been born again and have a new life. Our lives should look differently. First uh, Peter chapter 2 starts out with a short list of behaviors um, that should not be part of our lives, as, um, our lives in Christ. And I have to admit, I, I almost kind of moved right past them and on to the next point. Um, these do nots are not always the most fun to focus on, and sometimes maybe they seem a little elementary that we've we've heard them before. We know that we're not supposed to do these things, um, but one thing about this list kind of stood out to me as a little bit different um, than some other lists that you see in the Bible. Um, this list seems to have what some of us might consider probably wrongfully so little sins. I know there's no such thing as little sins. Sin is sin. Um, but what I mean by that is um, the sins on this list uh, maybe don't make us cringe as much as ones on other lists, like in 1 Corinthians 6, um, where it condemns living in sexual sin, worshiping idols, committing adultery, prostitution, practicing homosexuality, stealing, being greedy, drunkards, abusive, or cheating. Those sins somehow seem more blatant, um, they, they, and we seem to have a little bit less tolerance for them. But... Uh, some of these little sins, not really little sins, but um, they might be the ones that are most likely or most easily slip back into our lives, and they might not be picked up on our radar as much because um, well, we might have become a little comfortable with them. Um, they might be a little bit more accepted as a whole in society. Uh, a large part of non-Christians may also cringe at some of the things on the list from 1 Corinthians um, but this list in First Peter are things that many in the culture have normalized. They, they might even encourage some of these things. So um, these behaviors uh, can be overlooked because uh, maybe, maybe we don't see ourselves as, um, as egregious of a culprit of it. Um, maybe we, we're comparing ourselves to other people we know. Uh, it says, though, it says, so rid yourself of all evil behavior. Uh, the Amplified Version says, put aside every trace, every trace of it. And if we remember back in chapter 1, um, we see that the standard is not our neighbor. It's not a person at work, but the standard is God. Um, he says that we are to be holy as God is holy. So with that in mind, let's take a closer look um, and let the Holy Spirit help us recognize any behaviors that we may need to address in our lives. Um, evil behavior is the first one that's uh, mentioned here. Um, some uh, other translations clarify it as meaning malice or ill will or the desire to injure. Evil behavior is any behavior where our own interests are protected at the expense of somebody else's. Um, Proverbs fifteen twenty six says, The Lord detests evil plans, but he delights in pure words. In Proverbs 21.2, it says, people may be right in their own eyes, but the Lord examines their heart. I heard this story once a, a long time ago, and maybe you've, you've heard it before too, uh, but there's a family driving down the road, and there's a girl in the back seat, and she's standing on the seat behind her dad, and it's distracting. And so after a little bit, he's, he tells her, you need to sit down. Okay, so she sits down for a little bit, and after a little while, she stands up again, and she's behind her dad's head, and, and she's, she's goofing around. And so he stops the car, and he takes her and puts her down and forcefully says, stay seated. And he keeps driving down the road, and a little while later, 
he hears this little voice come from the back seat that says, I may be sitting on the outside, but I'm standing on the inside. <laughs> so uh, it, it's hard uh, to be obedient when your heart is not in it. It's hard. It did, her, her natural desire was not to stay seated. Although we may, we may do a pretty good job of biting our tongues and putting on a good front because we know what the right way is to act, um, how are we doing at surrendering our hearts to God so that we're behaving on the outside because our heart has been made holy on the inside? <clears throat> there was a guy I used to work with, and um, he, he'd drive me nuts. He's just always complaining and whining and criticizing other people. And, uh, and we, we butted heads a lot. And um, I'll admit in the beginning, I, I was pretty quick to respond back. Over time, I got a little bit better at keeping my cool. And, uh, and, uh, and I, would, I would not respond. But on the inside, I had some zingers that I just, <laughs> I really wanted to fire off. Um, but as the, as the years went by, there was times where I felt God was just asking me to, you know, try and be more of a light at work, to, to begin praying for people at work. And of course, the, the first people that pop into my head when I'm thinking about who to pray for at work are these people that, you know, that I'm battling with, you know, that, that I'm struggling to, to even show kindness to. Um, and so, uh, you know, in, in the future then, you know, I began to, to care about him and I, I looked at him differently. When he would throw a tantrum, um, I would respond kinder because I would start, because I had a heart for him. I, I, I cared about him. I recognized his, his behaviors were maybe not, were a little childish and I, and I didn't really appreciate his actions, but I knew that there was something beyond, beyond that, that he was hurting, he was struggling with that were causing these. And so it, it changed the way I responded because my heart was changed towards him. Do you ever feel like your heart towards someone is not right? Even if we don't act in it, even if, uh, if we have ill will towards somebody, we need to rid ourselves of even the trace of that behavior. Like I said, these behaviors are so common, sometimes they're overlooked. Um, keeping our heart in check is the first step and is key uh, to ridding ourselves of all of these behaviors. The next one, deceit. Get rid of deceit. Uh, Colossians 3, 9, and 10 says, Do not lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you are learning to know your creator and become like him. Um, lies will destroy relationship. I remember not too far back, Pastor Don shared a message where he was talking about how reputation takes a lifetime to earn but can be destroyed in just a moment. Uh, the same thing can be said about trust. The two are very well, very much tied together. I don't know how many of you uh, love old westerns. Uh, I like uh, the old westerns. One of the themes that I see repeated over and over that I've always kind of appreciated from old westerns is that a man is only as good as his word. And, uh, and being honest uh, still is and should be uh, one of the, world, the, the top commodities that we have in life. Um, it is foundational for our rela all of our relationships, whether it be marriage, parenting, our relationships with people at work, with friendship. Um, it, is, it is having a reputation, having a, a, a mutual trust that can make these relationships strong and make them work. And when you're in need, somebody's more likely to go the extra mile for somebody they trust, somebody they know that, that um, isn't deceiving them, isn't trying to use them, um, but is someone that they trust. Lies destroy trust, but honesty gives credibility to your words. When someone uh, who has a reputation for uh, stretching the truth or spreading false rumors, when they start talking, the people around stop listening. They don't, they don't have a lot of, they don't put a lot of stock in what that person has to say. But when somebody that you trust starts speaking, then those words are received. Those are words that we hold on to. Think about how essential that reputation is to your ability to be a light and an influence in the world around you. Um, throughout the years, I had uh, several times, I've had guys at work encourage me to do something that 
that was deceitful. Uh, maybe they, they said, oh, you could just fudge your hours a little bit here or, or just say that this happened, you know, to cover up some mistake, something got broke, it was an accident, you know, I'm not really going to be in trouble anyways, but, but they would just say, well, just say that happened, you know. Um, and, the, and the weird thing about it is that uh, even though they are the ones that are kind of okaying it, if I went along with it, it would still diminish my influence on them is still, it would still take away from their ability to trust me because they would, they would see that I'm capable of deceiving, right? Deceit can be tempting to us. It looks like a way to save ourselves from expense or, or even embarrassment, um, but it is hated by God. It's hated by God. And our, and our, and our goal is to show God that we love him, to, to obey him, to show our love by, by being obedient, obedient to him. So, hated by God, and also deceit doesn't show love to others. And there are times that we may be tempted to deceive. Um, like let's say you're, you need to sell a car, and you know there's something wrong with it, but you don't really want to say anything because you know it's going to bring the value of the car down. Uh, maybe you don't want to tell somebody that you, uh, you scratched their car in a parking lot, trying to avoid the repercussions, the cost of that. Maybe you're in a conversation with somebody and you pretend to know something that you really don't know because you want to look good. Um, maybe you got pulled over and you told the cop, I had no idea I was speeding. You know, <laughs> these, are, these are things that are they're easy to slip in. It's easy to just, like, you don't even, it's not like you even really think about it or plan to say it. Sometimes it feels like it just slips out. Because maybe we haven't re- replaced every trace of it in our lives. So um, we've all had to deal with this compulsion to lie. Um, we all probably think we're pretty honest people, but we need to try and re- remove any trace, all traces of deceit. Hypocrisy. Get rid of hypocrisy. Uh, Luke 12, 1 through 3, a very uh, known piece of scripture. Jesus says, meanwhile, um, meanwhile, the crowds grew into thousands um, until thousands were milling about and stepping on each other. Jesus turned to his disciples and he warned them, beware the yeast of the Pharisees, their hypocrisy. The time is coming when everything that is covered up will be revealed and all that is secret will be made known to all. Whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light and whatever you have whispered behind closed doors will be shouted from the housetops for all to hear. Uh, one of the objections that people have to the church or, or maybe even to Christianity is you'll hear them say that, uh, that Christianity is, is, is full of hypocrites. The church is full of hypocrites. Christians are hypocrites. And to some degree, uh, that kind of has to be true. I mean, the standard is God, Right? And the call, our call is to be holy as God is holy. And the definition of hypocrisy is claiming to have certain moral standards and beliefs and then not living up to those moral standards and beliefs. Um, but, but we can't. So, if, of course, we can't live perfectly. We can't live according, perfectly according to God's standards. But I think the hypocrisy that Jesus is talking about here is a kind of hypocrisy that we can rid ourselves of. And, and that is lying to ourselves and lying to others that we are really righteous, that we are really good, that, that we are somehow better than they are. 1 John 1.8 says, if we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. It is uh, Christians that approach the world with this, um, this attitude that they're somehow superior to others that creates this image of hypocrisy. Uh, we see this attitude displayed in a story that Jesus told uh, about a Pharisee that went and he prayed, I thank you, God, that I am not like these other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers, and I'm certainly not like this tax collector. Think of what that attitude does to your ability to share the gospel. If, if his sins are not found out and he goes on, you know, living this high life and looking down on others, um, anybody who needs help 
is going to be too ashamed and intimidated to go to the person to receive help, to find out how it is that they might obtain what he supposedly has, has received. And if he is found out, then what happens? Now all of a sudden, he is, his reputation is ruined and he's the butt of jokes of all those people that he used to be putting down. The soap that cleans out this kind of hypocrisy is humility. And, uh, and, and you see that in Paul's life. He gives a great depiction of this in Philippians 3. He begins by saying, um, he says, I could have confidence in my own efforts if anybody could. Indeed, if others have a reason to have confidence in their efforts, I have even more. Sounds like he's, he's being prideful, but he's not. It goes, he goes on to list the reasons, but then he says uh, in Philippians 3, 7 through 9, he says, I once thought of these things, I thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count my own righteousness through obeying the law. I become, rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. So he minimizes what others might see as his own goodness, his own righteousness. He, he says that it, it doesn't have any value overall. I'm not any better. I still have sin. What, what is the level of sin that, that makes you condemned, that makes you, that, that, has, that takes away um, the, your, your, your ability to obtain inheritance and able to res remove yourself from the, the punishment of death? What level of sin? Just, just one. Like you, you, without Christ, any of your goodness beyond that doesn't do anything. It doesn't make you any better. You're still, you know, in a desperate state. And if that isn't enough, in 1 Timothy, uh, he goes on, and, and now instead of looking at his righteousness and di diminishing that and saying, my righteousness doesn't count as anything, now he talks about, he looks back at his sin. He says, um, this is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Jesus, uh, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them all. In verse 16, it continues, but God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. Paul shows us what it looks like to die to your pride and to remember your own sinful beginnings. Um, being honest about your weakness, being honest about your sins, being honest about your, your faults and your failures um, makes it near impossible to have this kind of hypocrisy in front of others. It comes from a humble heart. He's teaching us that we are not trying to make ourselves look great, but we are trying to make God look great. Paul declares this in the very next verse, saying, all honor and glory to God forever and ever. Next on the list, get rid of jealousy. Uh, jealousy or envy, uh, depending on your translation, it is, uh, it's defined as a resentful awareness of an advantage enjoyed by someone else and having an intense desire to possess it for ourselves or, or in some cases maybe just not wanting them to have it, um, which I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Um, have you ever, have you ever been at a, at a big Christmas gathering, um, and you've seen, and there's a bunch of kids and they're getting presents and, um, the kids, uh, child's sitting there watching all the other kids open their presents, you know, and like, oh, that's cool. That's neat. Whatever. Um, and then they open theirs and their face, their smile drops. They, they drop their, their, their present on the ground and, 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 and they just, uh, are, are sad. And, um, and as a parent, uh, you see that and you're just like horrified that your child is, uh, is responding that way, that they would treat the person who gave them this gift with such ungratitude. You know, it's just ingratitude. 
but uh, that they would that they would you know that they wouldn't give some sort of thankfulness for the the desire that the the person giving it had to to bring them joy and uh, i was thinking about that and thought how much worse is it when we lack gratitude <clears throat> when this lack of gratitude is directed towards god um it says in psalms 31 um for you uh for you created my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. God created us. He made us the way we are. First Peter 4.10 says, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. God is the one who's gifted us. He's the reason why you have the gifts you have. Jeremiah 29.11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. God has made plans for you. He has a purpose for you. He's the one who established why you're here. And Psalms 75.7 says, but God is the judge. He puts down one and exalts another. He opens the doors. He puts people in position. He's the one who has given you what you have and has put you where you are to do the thing that you're there to do. So if we are envious of what God has given to somebody else, the gifts that they have, it seems... Kind of like we lack gratitude for what he's given us. It's kind of, kind of sounds a little hard, but I, I hope it doesn't seem too harsh, but it's an important lesson. Um, Paul kind of uh, gives a little hint of this in Timothy, how important this is, as he points out that envy was one of the main reasons why people were hating one another. Envy, because they're jealous of one another. So if people are to know us as Christians, they're supposed to know us by our love for one another, you know, then, then envy, then jealousy is something that we have to take seriously and we need to get rid of every trace, every trace of jealousy that we can live and love for one another. The next is get rid of all unkind speech. Seems like uh, that covers a lot of ground, right? Uh, Luke 6.45 says, A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. An evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. So what you say flows from what's in your heart. Get rid of all evil things. That it, the, You can't just memorize all of the good things and, and like there's too many things to, to, too many evil things too to like try and remove from your, your, your memory bank of word phrases that you could say. Um, it has to be a change of heart. Because it's from there that it all flows. You can't control every little thing your tongue says if you don't change what your heart feels. Um, it is interesting here uh, that he refers to the treasury of the heart. I, I guess, I, I don't know, I, in the past I've looked past this word and not thought about how, you know, a treasury was a place that they would keep, you know, things of value. And so the heart is where we keep things of value and what we put in it makes our heart either good or evil. Um, we look at David and he says, uh, he said, I hide your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. That was, that was, that's the method. That's how we change our heart. We hide God's word in it so that we might not sin against him. Um, his treasure was God's word. Uh, David sang songs, love songs, about God's commandments and about his laws. He loved his laws. He, he saw them as, as something that kept him right with God. That was his desire was to stay right and clean before God. Um, he sang a song. Uh, he sang, create in me a clean heart, O God. He continued to sing and say, uh, do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And, and the result of that, the result of this clean heart that then overflows with good things, he says, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will be converted to you. So if we can get rid, if we can get rid of all evil speech, if we can have a heart that overflows with good, that is how we'll teach transgressors. That's how we'll be a, an example. That's how we, our life will display God in a way that sinners will be converted. So let our hearts be cleansed and filled with good things so that the good 
that flows out of us will reach the lost. All of these behaviors that Peter is encouraging us to rid ourselves of, um, all these behaviors destroy relationship and discredit the authenticity of what Christ has done in our life. Uh, A week from Monday, I mentioned we're going to have this Let Your Light Shine event, and kids are going to be putting on costumes, and they're going to dress up like something else or someone else, but the first step before they can put on these costumes, before they can try and imitate these other things, the first step is they have to take off, they got to take off their favorite baseball cap. They got, to, they got to take off anything bulky that they might be wearing that might affect the shape of the costume. We read earlier in Colossians 3.9 that we should strip off our old sinful nature. And the next step in verse 10 says, then to put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become more like him. God wants us to emulate him. We're trying to, we're trying to put on our God costume. We're trying, to, we're trying to be like him, imitators of him. Uh, we want to be more and more like him. The first step is to remove anything that is not like him. Amen? Amen. All right. So last week we covered all of chapter one. So far today, we have covered verse one. Um, uh, so before you get too nervous that you should have brought a lunch, I'm going to let you know we're not going to cover the entire chapter today. But we, we are going to go a little bit further. We're going to move on to verse 2. Verse 2. So First uh, Peter chapter 2, verse 2 says, Like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment now that you have, taste, have had a taste of the Lord's kindness. Have you tasted the Lord's kindness? This morning when we're in worship, we're tasting the Lord's kindness. We're experiencing him. We're spending time with him. We're connecting with him. When we stop and spend time in prayer, we have a chance to experience the Lord's kindness. When we read the Bible, we have a chance to experience the Lord's kindness. And we can do this again and again. And it's in those moments that we experience the goodness of God that it strengthens us, fills us with joy and peace, and leaves us empowered to live the lives that he's created us to live. Um, and when we leave these moments, we have a renewed craving for more moments like this. We're like, man, that was good. Man, I, I, I loved spending time with God. I loved feeling his presence in those moments. You know, I, 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 I can't wait to be back in, in that environment again. I can't wait to have time to get back into a, you know, you, you read a scripture that speaks to your heart, that strengthens you for the day. You want, you want that again the next day. Um, I'm not so far removed uh, from having an infant, from having a baby, that I don't remember um, what it's like uh, when they get a little fussy and, and you realize that they need some milk to drink, and so you give them a bottle. And, but they're a little fussy beforehand. But then you give them the bottle, and if you remove that bottle before they are done with it, this is not just fussy. This is an ear-piercing, all-out, you know, crying wail because now that they've tasted it, now they have a craving for it. Now they want it. It becomes intense. Um, I don't know if you remember the, uh, there's a couple of potato chip commercials that, uh, that I thought of. The, the Pringles, once you pop, you can't stop, right? And uh, Lay's used to say, you can't just have one. Um, but it's, it's true. If you don't eat any, then it's not too hard not to eat one. But once you eat one, now you have a taste for it. Now you want more. Just so you know, um, Tanya wanted me to pass out one chip to everyone, okay, so you get to experience this. Um, I, I thought maybe that wouldn't be very kind. And so if you ever thought of, 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 of her as more the kind one and me not, you see, maybe, maybe rethink that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, if you... Uh, if you ever feel like your spiritual life feels just a little bit flat, um, that you've kind of lost that craving, the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Just take five minutes in prayer. Take five minutes of worship or think, what is your favorite scripture? Maybe you don't, you know, hopefully you haven't memorized and you can just stop for a second and just 
meditate on it, um, and see if that doesn't cause your spirit to begin to crave again that kind of nourishment that we receive. Uh, Moving on to uh, verse 4, it says, You are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. So for those of you who don't know the significance of a cornerstone, um, when it came to ancient building, um, the cornerstone was a foundation stone. Uh, it, was, it was large, it was strong, it was set very, very firmly, it was set precisely, and that stone was to guide, um, it was a be a foundation, but it was also a guide for how all, all, the, other, um, all the other stones are, are set. And it had to be strong. It had to be strong. Uh, the direction it was turned, whether it was north, south, east, west, that direction would determine which direction the structure is facing. The stone um, also it needed to have no defects in it. It had to be pure and no cracks or veins of some other material that would, that would weaken it. It needed to be pure. And Jesus, it says, is that strong, pure stone that the Father established as a guide and a foundation for, for our lives, for who we're meant to be and how we're supposed to present ourselves to the world. Um, Verse 5 continues, and it says, And you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priest. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. He says that we are holy priests. Again, what we saw before, we're supposed to be holy as he is holy. Again, um, we are to be holy, but it's only through Jesus' mediation that we are able to be holy, that we're made able to offer something pleasing to God. And when we look um, forward again into verse 6, um, it, when we get to verse 6, P- Peter starts quoting from Psalms 118. So some of what he's saying is, was spoken before Jesus was born and died on the cross and rose again. So uh, moving on to verse 6, it says, As the scriptures say, I am placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem, chosen for great honor, and anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Yes, you who trust him recognize the honor God has given him, but for those who reject him, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. And he is the stone that makes people stumble, the rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they do not obey God's word, and so they meet the fate that was planned for them. Like I said, these verses, these are prophetic verses that Jesus will be rejected, and it, and it also prophesies that, um, that Jesus, the message of Jesus, the message of the cross, is going to be hard for some people to receive. It's going to be a stumbling block. Uh, we see this again in, uh, in 1 Corinthians. It kind of describes it a little bit more fully. Uh, in uh, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18 through 23, it says, The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. As the scriptures say, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and discard the intelligence of the intelligent. So where does that leave the philosophers, the scholars, and the world's brilliant debaters? God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish, since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom. He has used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. It is foolishness to the Jews who ask for a sign from heaven, and it is foolishness to the Greeks who seek human wisdom. So when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended, and the Gentiles say that it is all nonsense. I grew up being taught about Jesus, and I came to put my trust in him at a young age, and many of you had a same type of experience but uh, I don't know if, like you, if, if you've contemplated or if you've seen 
how somebody who has not been raised in the Christian faith, um, how it would be hard for them to grasp the concept of God. And, and maybe, maybe they, they understand that maybe there's some sort of a God, but understand that, that God came as a man and, and how somehow this God-man dying on a cross how that would have some effect on some sin that's in my life or that I, it'll free me from a punishment, you know, or the fact that there even is an eternal punishment. These are things that, that maybe don't make a lot of sense to somebody who is outside of it. It becomes difficult to, to rationalize, you know, to, uh, to figure out by your own logic. It, it's said in these verses that it's not going to be by human reason that you're going to be able to receive. Um, so to those who depend on their own reason, reasoning, it's going, to be a, it's going to be a mental hurdle. It's going to be a struggle. And this is where we come in, partially us, partially the Holy Spirit, but the part that we're talking about today is what, what, what God can do in us to make us an image bearer, that we, can, that we can shine a light of who God is that would attract people, that would show people that there, that there is a God and that there is salvation, that there would be something about us that would display that. And it's the Holy Spirit that's going to call them, that's going to soften their heart to, to be able to receive that. Um, but, it's, but we are to bring that likeness into the world um, through, through our example of Jesus. So if we look, if we look to the next verse, uh, we go to verse 9, it says, but you are not like that. You are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's very own possession. And as a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. So this is uh, 1, Peter 2, 1, or 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10. Oh, I didn't finish it off. That's why I'm not finding my spot. Okay, verse 10. Uh, once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. But he's called us to show his goodness so that others can see it. Um, we get to be this light. We get to be the channel through which people who have not experienced the identity that they can find in Christ and the mercy that they can find in Christ, we get to be that avenue. We get to be uh, a tool used to bring them into that. So if you've, if you've, uh, if you think about what we've received and you think about where we've come from and where we're headed, um, you know, the idea of being able to reach out and find other people that are lost and headed to destruction and be able to be the light, to be able to be the one who brings them out of that, um, what an amazing thing to be able to be a part of, that God would choose us to be part of, of that process. Um, like I said, it can, it can be a little bit of a, of a mental hurdle for them to figure it out without that sort of example. And, and I'll show you a little demonstration of why having an example is good. Um, so I have a video that, uh, that I'm going to show. It's just a short little clip. Bicycle wheel on a rope. You can just pause it there. Okay. So there's a bicycle wheel. It's got a shaft through it. It's got a, a chain on one end. It's doing exactly what you would imagine it would do if you held on to the chain. It would hang horizontally. Now, if somebody tries to describe to you or say to you that... Uh, that if I spin this wheel, it can stand vertically without any help, I'd be like, no, I don't think so. I mean, to, in my mind, my reasoning, it seems like you'd have to have some sort of blades curve to get some air force or like, I don't see how spinning that wheel is going to cause it to stand upright. It makes no sense to me. And if I don't see it, hmm, I'm just really think you're crazy. Like, like I, I wouldn't even really care to hear your, your, your explanation because I'm like, no, I don't think so. Um, but if you'll play the, the video here. Yeah. 
Okay, so now the wheel is spinning and it is standing vertically. And, and I would not have believed it had I not seen it. Uh, I, I, I've listened a little bit now, now that I know, now that I've seen that it actually works. I've listened a little bit to the reason. I, I don't fully understand it. I don't, I don't need to fully understand it. I'm probably not going to apply this in my life. But essentially, they're saying it, it's, it's a gyroscope. And somehow the spinning force creates an outward torque and it, and it holds it up. I, it's, it's beyond my ability to really reason. And if I hadn't seen it for myself, I would have not even really thought to even listen to the reason, even get a little bit of comprehension of how it worked. Um, that is, uh, that is how it's, that, that's how it is with the gospel. You know, people, if they, if they don't see it lived out, if they don't see an example of it, like they, they might just throw it off as, as foolishness. But, but when we display it, when we show it, now all of a sudden there's an open door. Now there's a, a willingness to say, what is it, you know, why is it that you have this joy? Why is it that you, you treat people this way? How come you don't deceive, you know, when you have a chance to, to get away with something? It wouldn't be that hard. How come, you know, how come you're, you show compassion to this person that is, doesn't appear to be deserving compassion, that just drives everybody nuts, but you're, you're responding with kindness? What, why is that? And, and, it's, and it's that display of Christ that then opens the door to being able to give the reason and having an openness to hear that reason. Um, verse 11 continues saying, Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. This message from Peter has not been about pointing out your failures. It's not been about making you feel bad or attacking you in anger or to express disappointment in your mistakes. He's encouraging us as a friend, as someone who wants the best for us, and as a servant of God that desires that God would be glorified through us. He's encouraging us to be careful. Be careful. Don't, don't, uh, don't tarnish your reputation. Don't, don't take away the, the um, don't take away from the message that you have to share. Don't, don't do anything that might cause somebody else to not be able to receive what God has poured out into you. It's easy to let the world that we see all around us shape us, which is why we need to continue to be purposeful about setting boundaries in our lives that keep us holy and keep us set apart from the things of this world. That is why, uh, that's why we need to connect with God. Because like I said, it's when our heart changes that our behaviors are more easily and more consistently shaped. We may be able to fight it and bite our tongues at, at times, but if we don't have a heart change, we can't maintain it. This is why it's important to determine daily and weekly plans that remind us to taste again the kindness of the Lord that allow that craving that, um, to allow us to keep that craving going. It's, it's coming to church on Sunday mornings. It's that weekly thing that renews that craving for God that keeps on filling our hearts with good things. It's, it's waking up in the morning and starting the day thanking God for the day and asking him to lead you through it that, that continues to keep that craving going. So um, as we fill our hearts uh, more and more with the word of God, as we give thanksgiving and we sing songs of praise, we do this so that um, what flows out of us will, be, will display the qualities of Jesus, who is the cornerstone 
for all the world to see. So, taste and see that the Lord is good. Fill yourself with his goodness and let it pour out to others. Go today in the power of the Holy Spirit, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, bringing glory to God. Amen. Lord Jesus, we just thank you for the hope that you've given us, Lord God. We thank you uh, for the new life, the new birth that you've given us. Lord, we thank you for the inheritance of a life with you forever in heaven. Lord, we just ask that uh, with that in mind, Lord God, that we would be motivated to press on yes. to acts of love, acts of kindness, motivated into holy living, getting rid of every trace of sin, Lord God, that we might be vessels that would be used for your glory, that would be used to bring refreshing renewal and redemption to the world around us, Lord Jesus. Fill us up with the treasures of your word that they may flow out of our mouths to the world around us. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this message from Bible Center Church. For more information, you can find us online at www.biblectr.org or connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash BibleCTR.